Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. Uh, this is Kyle Krieger, and we're joined today by our good friend Rob Wadawa from out in New York. Rob, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you for inviting me, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. So we met, we were just talking about this last October at the, uh, the Mentoring uh, Institute Conference at the University of New Mexico, which was a really, really great experience, and we got to connect, and we got to we we happen to just be in the same sessions, kind of continually over yes. the week. And you were you were presenting, and, and Law and I presented, and got got a chance to have a bunch of meals together. So that was that was a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely, totally agree. Okay, so to get us started, this is the first question we always ask: is uh, please describe for us your favorite or most influential teacher of your K twelve experience. My personal teacher. Hmm, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, K twelve. I think I had a math teacher, believe it or not, as a senior in high school. And at the time, I was a musician. I was looking to go to school for music. Um, but my teach at the time, I wanted to be a math teacher. And she always was were coming to me, and I always felt like math was fun. So I'd go into class and I'd say, "Math is fun," and all the kids thought I was nuts. And I'd go around the classroom and try to help. And she was always so supportive of me wanting to either be music or math, either way. And she and I spoke continuously about what I wanted to do in my future. And um, I'll never forget, she signed my yearbook, you know, you know that um, it was finally nice to meet a student that thought math was fun, just like I did. You know, and the little thing that she had done, it just, it touched me for forever, you know, knowing that you could support a child and, and, and uh, impact them for life. What, what math class was it? It was called Math Twelve, which is basically pre-cal. Yeah. So it so it wasn't as much about the the class. It was just the way she interacted with you and and made the class fun. Right. Which is ironic because it, it you know twenty years later it ties into the research that I had done on my dissertation, which is so wild. Yeah. All right. So can you give us a little bit of your educational background and kind of your educational philosophy? Why you got into the profession? Sure. Um, it, it's kind of a, a, a wild story. I, um, I graduated with a uh, performance degree in classical guitar and wasn't quite sure what to do after I graduated. So I began teaching private lessons. And after a short time of teaching private lessons, I, I looked back in my schedule. I had 100 private students in the course of a summer. So that means I was teaching from 10 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night straight through. And at that time, my now wife had said to me, why don't you go back to school, get your master's degree, become a teacher, you know, have the, have the time with the kids and impact kids more than you already are. So I decided to go get my master's in music education and I started teaching shortly after and I taught for um, 10 years in a public school. And uh, I was in a school district. I taught uh, five, six uh, general music and chorus. Then I taught uh, seventh and eighth grade band, and then I went to the high school, and I became department chair of art, music, and family and consumer sciences, taught band, and then also chorus. While I was doing the junior high gig, which was a lot of fun, I had an administrator friend that kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you should apply for this grant. It's called the Wallace Grant, and it allows you to go become a leader and get certified to be an administrator. And at the time, I thought, this is crazy. I would never imagine doing something like this. So I went through the process, and I, I actually had to meet with this, the assistant superintendents in a huge, big interview. And I'll never forget, the, the superintendent now at, at the, my previous district asked me, he goes, so Rob, if we put you forward into this, this process, 
are you going to guarantee us that you're going to be an administrator? And I looked at him and I thought and I said, you know, it's kind of a, a, a poor question, isn't it? Considering I haven't taken any of the classes yet. That's a life decision that I got to ask my wife. I got to get through the program. I got to, you know, I have a whole lot of things. And he looked at me, he goes, you're absolutely right. And two weeks later, I was told that I got the grant. So that was kind of wild. Um, so then I began the classes. And again, you know, the, you, you hear the administrators, they got the dark side. They go to the dark side. And um, I did an interview of an assistant principal and, and he explained it perfectly that allowed me to understand what a leader is. And it takes on my philosophy that um, leading is teaching and teaching is leading. In that he had said that when you become an administrator, you're, you're guiding the larger classroom. So as a teacher, you know, you're working with 30 or 120 students, depending upon if you're an elementary or secondary. You know, as a leader, I, I oversee now 50 teachers. So you take 50 teachers multiplied by 150 students. That's the impact that I could have on a classroom. So when I started thinking about that, I started thinking about, wow, you know, we can make positive change as administrators if we are thinking positively, <laughs> you know. Right. Absolutely. So, so that's what I had started to do. And then um, when I was department chair, I took on those the, that role with, in one school district where I had a small amount of teachers. I had about 15 teachers. And, um, and then I started my doctorate. And uh, now I have I finished defending my dissertation last December. And since then, I've done several conferences where, you know, you and I have met. And um, my, my paper is published. And now I'm working on more works with uh, some other colleagues of mine. And uh, now I'm the director of art, ENL, music, and world language at another school district and public school. And I have 50 teachers that I work with and several administrators. And, you know, I, I look to impact people positively because that's what the research comes down to that I had done that, you know, you, you never forget the impact that you have on people. And that's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So Law came up with this, this new part of our podcast. He calls it Clear the Air. So okay. If so if there's anything, doesn't have to be school related, that's really, you know, you had a bad experience or you want to clear the air on something before we get going, th this is the place and this is the time. Wow. Clear the air. I don't think I have anything to clear the air on. I'm, I'm a pretty wear my heart on my sleeve type of person. And just like I had said in the, shared in that story, that superintendent, you know, he asked me a question. I'm like, basically, that's not a real smart question, you know. And uh, the, the room was taken aback by that. But, you know, I am who I am. And, uh, you know, I'm very honest and upfront with my teachers when I'm doing observations with them. And um, that's just who I am. So I, I don't think I have to clear the air much. <laughs> you, 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 do, you clear the air on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I think right. so. I hope so. You know, that's, that's a good, good thing to say. And, and when you told the story about that question, like even I was kind of like, oh, man. But it's... It's not like your question was overly rude or or even out of line. It's just in the proper in the proper terms, a teacher applying for this grant would proper etiquette would say you wouldn't ask that question. You would just say, "Oh yeah, I I." But I I think that's fantastic. So right. um, yeah, exactly. So you remember? Do you remember Chad Littlefield who gave one of the keynotes in New Mexico? He, he used the We Connect cards where he had to stand up with the little cards. Yes. Okay, so we, we bought a set of those, and we like to ask one of those each time we do a okay. podcast. Okay, so. I'm game. 
What is one personality trait you admire in others? There's a book that I've read several times um, by John Maxwell. And uh, he's got two books that I, I really enjoy reading. One's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And the other one's 21 Indisputable Characters, Characteristics of Leadership. And the first chapter talks about character. And what I admire most in people is that when you ask, when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it. And you, I find, especially in a leadership role, even leaders where they have a, a vision or an idea, they lack the follow through. They lack the integrity to really go through what they have to go through. And I have to say that my teachers and the people that I work with are surprised that when I say, this is what I'm going to do, and if I have to email somebody 50 times to make sure it gets done, it gets done. So when I see somebody with that kind of work ethic and that integrity and that character, that's something I really admire in people. Awesome. That's great. So then that kind of leads me to our, our next kind of uh, beginning follow or warm up question. If you could rec if you had to recommend one book to every teacher, which one would it be? <laughs> Um, as to a beginning teacher, I recommend all the time the first days of uh, first days of teaching. I think it's called the first days of school. First, first days of school, right? By Harry Wong, right? Great book. Um, it's got so many little little bags of tricks in there that really help you. I think it's a great go to. It's not something you have to read in a totality. You can take a small section and and get some bag of tricks and then go back into the classroom the next day and, and get some success. Um, as far as a leader is concerned, like I said, I think an experienced teacher really has to, should take a step back and go, you know what, I'm leading a classroom. So I'm actually a leader instead of just a teacher, you know, and that's why I said my philosophy is teachers are leaders and leaders are teachers in that they should think about their character, think about how they're impacting kids, think about how they say things. So many times I say to my teachers, look, if you go into a room and you just roll your eyes at one particular moment, you can just think about that that kid could take that to whatever degree and could change their life. You know, so yeah. I, I think about the, the book that it's really short is the Matt John Maxwell book, the 21 character, indisputable characteristics or characters of, of a leader, I think is, is a short go-to book. I think each chapter is about six pages. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's short and it allows you to say you can take, read that chapter, put it down, reflect on it for a couple of weeks or months or days or whatever, and then pull it back up. Or say, you know, well, let me go back to the chapter that I really you know, need to think about for myself. I think that's a great book, not only for teachers, but for leaders as well. Yeah. We, uh, with Law's New Teachers at his campus, we were going through the, the 15, John Maxwell's 15 Laws for Growth throughout yes. the year and you, you could pick up any John Maxwell book and <laughs> and do well but I, I like what you said about you know even we've been talking a lot about with that eye roll not only mm -hmm. are you affecting that kid you roll your eyes at but every other kid in that room sees it and they're you know telling a story about who you are and and, and why you would do that so that's the impact of what you what you do with your body, everything you do, like taking ownership or taking accountability of everything you do is super important. So we really like that. So yeah, um, it's, it's almost, it almost takes to some degree, if you believe in it, it could take on a religious connotation in that, who are you when nobody's looking? Right. Right. Absolutely. 
Okay, so you talked a little bit earlier. You, you had 10 years of teaching experience in the arts, and now you're in a leadership position in the arts. So what, through your experience, what is, what is the value? Because I know we hopefully we'll have some of those teachers who are in the arts listening, and when it's a, a phase of education that seems to be under attack all the time, what is the value that you've experienced and that you've seen in, in having those classes and, and getting kids really engaged in those classes? I think that's a, it's a tough question to answer and, and you really can go many different ways with it. And, you know, we can go through the research and, and explain how wonderful the arts is for education. I think I was, I was thinking about this cause you had sent me the email about the topics. I'm thinking about how am I going to approach this question? Cause I knew it was coming. Um, so I, I think I want to approach it from more of a philosophical place in that I think when we look at education in general, you know, you take students and they go into a classroom and they take art and music from kindergarten. They take it all the way through their, their education in high school. They're required in New York State. They're required to have a one credit of art or music. So it, it's, it's, it's embedded in everybody's educational um, experience. Now, unfortunately, so is every other subject, right. you know, and what happens is the large percentage of students don't go and end their careers in arts and music. So I'm sure there's the statistics out there to show, you know, the percentage of students that, you know, major in a science field or a mathematics field or an English field. And for some reason, the arts always fall under that weird purview of, Nobody's going to do that when they grow up. And that's really sad. And when you start to think about how everything that we do in our life, um, there's music or art is centered around it. And the story that I always I share with my students and with my teachers is, or, or thought is, watch a movie and take all the music out of it. Or go to a wedding without music and think about what that would be like. And think about how the artistry of the flower arrangement and the artistry of the stained glass and the church, all of those things are there and they impact us in a very meaningful way. Um, and what I used to do with my students to kind of show the power of music, the, the power, the magic of music, is um, what I would do in my classroom is, um, I'm not going to tell you what the, what the end result was for, for now, for the story. I would write a line on my board. And I'd go about my class and I'd write a line on the board. And of course, the students would say to me, what does that line mean? And I would turn the question back to them. What do you think it means? And many times they would often say, oh, it's because we're misbehaving or we didn't do this right or we didn't do that right. And I would let them sit with that for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, because, you know, you're trying to build a, a yearly rapport with these students. So after a week or two goes by, I would come to the, the smaller group instruction and I'd say, okay, so let's talk about those lines that have been going on the board. And they would say, well, you know, I know we didn't hit the right note on that day or we didn't hit the rhythm or, you know, okay, no, that's not what it is. Well, what is it? I said, well, do you, you know when you go and you listen to a piece of music or you look at a piece of artwork and you get the chills that go through your body? And the students go, yeah. I said, I'm going to call that magic. There's not many things in our lives that happen where you get those goosebumps or those chills through your body. So that line represents the magic moment that you as my class had given me in that moment. And I'm getting one now. <laughs> oh. and, and every time I did that, the students 
became more encouraged to want to continue to work hard because I was getting impacted by what by the work that they were doing. So I was showing them that music has a power and the arts have a power that not any content area have in that it touches all of our lives in a very meaningful way. And I'm sure math teachers <laughs> and English teachers could have those potential moments as well. But I'm not quite sure if if you have the same magic moment as as a music or art, you know, experience. Not quite sure if if math touches our lives the way music touches our lives. And yeah, you know, the the initial thing you said too, what I was made me think is, you know, that a lot of most of these kids aren't going to go into the arts, but you know, when I was teaching social studies, it's like there's going to be very few historians. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's going to go into STEM and and I just that's so hard for me because I had a great experience. I was in I was in band from fifth grade to twelfth grade. Okay, and I was in marching band. I played in the pep band at games. I was in jazz band. I was in concert band, and that was a super influential time in my life because our director was former Marine band, so we were very disciplined and we were very regimented, and that was one of the most formative times because I went to a small school in Wisconsin. So all like almost everybody was in band and it was just, it had such a high esteem place in our school that it really made me, I never thought I was going to be a musician, but I enjoyed that time and it really had a positive impact on my life. And I think now too, when you're saying with the arts, like how many adults now are buying adult therapy drawing and coloring books and you know now we're trying to decide as adults oh this thing we did when we were kids that we just naturally did right now we want to try to get back to it in that point so i think that's um a really good answer in terms of the philosophical that that magic and and i'm not going to say that i think every teacher gets the opportunity to have those magic moments where the kids impact them absolutely but I think it's it's just such a special, especially with music, because you know, like it, like just watch a movie. That's crazy to think, like watch a movie without music and see, you know, especially when you watch a movie like Star Wars or something like that that has such a distinct, you know, the musical or you know, a movie like Indiana Jones where you know that no matter no matter what it is. Right. Now you wind up being that statistic that I'm talking about in that you were in a band. So in the world of music programs, you were a music student. You know, you weren't just the, the, the student that went to a, a music in our lives class. You were performing. You were performing in several groups. You said jazz band and march ba- marching band and, and concert band. And do you play now? No, I do not. And there is that statistic. Now, that impacted your life, it touched your life, it, it, it impacted you as a person, it impacted your character. However, you're not in the music field. So now, that is probably the reason why, unfortunately, the arts always are cut. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, it was an experience, it was a good experience, but at the end of the day, it's not bringing in the money. Yeah, and I, and I think the hard thing is to, you know, in my teaching experience now in Texas, it seems like band and and choir and those art classes have a tendency to be where they throw kids that don't have anywhere else to go. So a lot of those teachers get the most challenging students 
Right. And they're all in the same class together. So it, it, it makes it really difficult. But I, I hope that, you know, and I, I don't, you would know the statistics better than I would, but it, it was such an important part of my education that I hope it, it continues. So that was, that was really good. So the next thing, you know, you talked about your transition from a teacher to uh, an administrator, coach, a mentor. So do you want to expand just a little bit on, on how you, how you made that transition and, and what you learned transition about teaching when you transition yeah. to an administrator? Sure. Actually, I want to go backtrack just a smidge. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. So you talked about STEM. And um, the push here in New York right now, especially with the potential of the new educational process, which politically we don't know where we're going. However, there are some new new laws that have been passed. So I've been pushing, and it has been pushed quite often now, is STEAM. I don't know if you've, you've heard that. I've, I've never heard STEAM. Okay, so this is something you're going to want to look into. So STEAM is science, technology, English, art, and math. So it's the STEM model with the arts infused. So there's some things that I'm trying to do creatively within my district to bring in the A of the STEAM factor, the arts. So when we're doing the um, engineering courses and we're doing the um, problem solving, we have each of our elementary schools have a STEAM room. And in the STEAM room, the students do things like, you know, spaghetti towers and, prob you know, fun problem solving. And they do Ozobots and they do like these different things that infuses technology but also infuses the arts. So I'm looking at creating a, a portion of, of a teacher schedule in our elementary school to be dedicated to this STEAM activity in that the art teacher will co-plan and co-teach with the general ed teacher so that we can have a co-ed, co-teaching model and the students go into the STEAM room with the effort to, the, um, effort to solve problems creatively and develop you know, engineering type of opportunities for them. So, I mean, those are things that, that I'm doing personally as a, as a leader in my district, trying to make things look at things differently using STEAM. Now, so it's interesting for you because it's a new kind of concept, but it is something that, that is, if you look in the research, it's out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm definitely not trying to dispute whether the arts are important. I just didn't realize <laughs> that I had never heard that term. That's really yeah, cool. It is cool. It's something that I've heard now for... Um, probably about seven or eight years, believe it or not. And when I first heard it, I, I, my same thing was, really? You know? But then once I started digging into it a little bit, then I started seeing where we were going. I, I think seven or eight years ago, technology and engineering and problem solving, that those 21st century skills really weren't a focus. And now, you know, since we've reached about 2010, it's really been kind of a drive to start looking at problems and how we solve things differently you know, and asking students different questions instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Asking a question is, what problems do you hope to solve when you grow up? Yeah. So going back to the, uh, your, your original question of um, going into administration. So what exactly are you looking for as far as um, an answer? I'm trying to figure out what, what you know. Just just, it's just general kind of, you know, more of like a reflective question, you know, being on the, as you say, on the dark side or on the other <laughs> side of the curtain, you know, what, what did you look back at and say, you know, man, in my teaching career, I, I would have done this or I, I could have done that just, and just as a general advice, 
to the teachers because, you know, especially we're, we're really big on reflection and, and that piece and the importance of it. So if you could just, you know, reflecting on your, your experience, you know, what you've learned as a teacher and then now as an, as an administrator helping teachers. Sure. So um, when I think when you originally put this into the email, I, w- I had thought about it in relationship to the mentoring piece of it. So um, I'll share a little bit of a, of a story. So what I do with my teachers when I'm doing observations is that I explain to them that I'm here to support them and help them and assist them as much as possible. That I, you know, I'm a, a, a camera in the room going to provide you information that, you know, the students walked in, they did this, they did that. There's no, it's good, it's bad, it's ugly, it's indifferent. It's just, it is. Now, I also explain to them that um, when I sit down with them after I do the observation, I say to them, look, you know, teaching is subjective. You know, so I can come into the into your room and give you all of this advice and say whatever it may be. But that advice is rooted in my experience. It's rooted in my upbringing as a human being, and it may not work for you. So it's important that when I come to the table, I actually offer philosophical type of questions in nature. This way, the teachers can answer their questions with their own experience and their own upbringing to then address whatever the challenges I may see in a classroom. So one of the questions I always ask the teachers is rooted for me personally. As a teacher, I was observed, you know, two or three times a year. And through all of those observations, I was never given any advice to really help my teaching. In fact, I had an administrator that observed me and we had our post-conference, our conference afterwards. And I said, please tell me, you know, I've been teaching for seven years. Please tell me how I can make things better in my classroom. The response was, no, no, everything's good. Don't worry about it. Here you go. Here's your report. Have a nice day. So the question I ask my teachers is, look, you are holding the students accountable as a teacher. I, as an administrator, is supposed to be holding you accountable as a teacher. So what do you hope to get from me out of this observation? Now, I'll tell you that the teachers union that I work with is a, is a tough union in that they're always seemingly thinking that administrators are there to, quote unquote, stab people in the back or out to get you and so on and so forth. And don't get me wrong that there are those administrators that are out there. However, you know, you, you, the, from me as a person, I've spoken a lot with my, my um, teachers union uh, upper level people, the presidents and the vice president. And um, they've, they've come to terms with, you know, I'm here to support the teachers. I'm here to help them as much as possible and come from that, that mentoring standpoint that, look, you know, we're all in this together. At the end of the day, it's about the students in the room and it's about trying to get them to get to the next step. So if I'm in your classroom and I'm doing an observation, I want to sit and then we want to sit together afterwards. It's about learning something together. It's about looking at how we can do things differently without a points attached to it. And that's the problem is that currently, you know, the mentoring process has one, and the observation process winds up having these, these points attached to it from a teacher. So now they're looking to earn their score and be highly effective. And yet you're tr- as an administrator, you're trying to give them advice and help them come to the next, next piece or the next level as a teacher. And there's a big you know, discrepancy there of are we mentoring the teachers or are we scoring the teachers? You know, 
And I'm trying to take that mentoring perspective with them and say, look, I know the points are arbitrary and they're frustrating, but let's put that aside for a minute and let's talk about the philosophy behind everything. And of course, you know, we do get through it and it's really, really great. Um, it does take some time. Yeah. Oh, and I, and I remember, you know, we've, the, the district that, that law works in that I worked in, they, they just moved to the invest system. So it, you know, it was put together by the Gates Foundation. And at some point, there's a, a financial bonus to your scores and, and all these things. But in a couple of different meetings with my principal, when I was having my evaluation, and I asked her, like, what is the difference between me being a 2.7 and a 3? Does it, does it make any difference between me um, being more effective or keeping my job. And she was like, no. And she, she was someone who I had a relationship prior to me going to that school. So she, she and I had a very open line of communication. Anyway, she was very open with me about what I was good at and what I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So when I was meeting with her, it was very like, Hey, you know, these are the things cause she, my, my last principal taught in the room next to me my first year. So wow. she's no, so she's known me eight years. Mm -hmm. And she's seen me, you know, develop and grow. So, but I understand what you're saying too, that it's, it's so much, you know, we make brand new teachers sit through days of learning the evaluation system. Right. And, you know, the new teachers in New York are required to go into a mentoring program. And we discussed this at the conference that unfortunately the mentoring program is run by people that volunteer to do it. So now they're getting paid to be a mentor, yet they have no mentor training. So now the, the yeah. new teachers are forced into this, this kind of program to get mentored. And let's say they go through it for a year in school district A. They, let's say they get excess the following year and they go to another school district B and the school district B says, oh, so did you get mentored? They're like, yeah, I'm done with that. You know, so it, it winds up being this, this thing to do. So when I come to the table as an administrator and I'm working with a teacher that's a veteran teacher, you know, anyone that's been teaching for, you know, five to 25 years and you are coming to that table and saying, look, we're all learners here. We're all lifelong learners. And it's important that, you know, you understand that when I'm coming into your room, I'm not here to, to nitpick you. I'm here to look at things and help you to look at things differently so you can improve as an educator, you know, it whatever facet may be. But you're right. Unfortunately, the veteran teachers, when they have that discussion, they're thinking about the points. So you gave me a 2.7. Is that going to impact me? And I, I, the conversation I've had with my superintendent is that, look, we don't care about the point system. You know, the idea is that we want to know our teachers as a person. So that if the if the state ever came down and said, you know, we're going to fire this teacher and you can say, oh, no, this teacher does this, does that and, and, and does this well. And, you know, you can validate, you know, what the teacher does as a human being for students and the impact they have on students in education opposed to their 2.7 on paper. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if we've had a chance to talk about this. I know we told you a little bit, but we we've put together the framework for what we're launching in August. That's a two year mentoring program that we're, I guess not shopping, but we're in contact with some of the school districts here to really be like, Hey, we want to take over your program for two years and mentor all of your brand new teachers. Because like you said, someone in New York could get you or someone like you as a mentor and they'll be, they'll be squared away from day one, <laughs> but then you could get, 
the opposite of you, who is the person who is just getting another paycheck. Right. And, and that's bad because uh, Law's wife said this one time and it was so good. And, and she goes, there's so many teachers who have been teaching five or 10 years that are still first year teachers. Yes. They still are doing the same things that they were in their first year. And, and that's, that just shouldn't be the way it is. No. And that's, unfortunately, that's a big, a big thing that I see is that, you know, I, I think a lot of teachers, unfortunately, had the experience that I had, that I got observed. I went into the conferences and I never got anything out of it. So the way I always start, we have a pre-conference before the, the lesson. And I say, look, the goal of this is for us to learn something out of this. You know, and I explain my story to my teachers, like that obser- the observations for me was never valuable. So if we're going to sit here and have a 40-minute conference beforehand, I'm going to spend 40 minutes in your classroom, and then we're going to have a 40-minute conference afterwards. Let's put some value and some meaning into this. Let's get something out of this, whether it be us developing a relationship with one another or it's to improve your instruction or both. And you know, most of the time I feel like I'm getting both from my teachers, but it is a challenge you know, because of the time constraints and the fact that I think most veteran teachers – unfortunately, have that closed mindset in that, you know, I've never had an administrator that's actually been here to support me and help me and help me grow as an individual. And now you're coming to me and saying this to me. Are you sure you really mean what you say? You know, that's 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 a challenge to, to get over that. And as an administrator, you know, the amount of time that it takes to observe, I really I make that be the priority of my job. However, there's numerous other things that I have to do. So the, I have, I think... When I have three teachers that are in their second year of teaching and I have two teachers that are brand new and I'd love to give them more support and the time. However, my schedule as an administrator doesn't allow me that time. So what I've been doing is I've been working with the vice president of the teachers union who happens to be the one that runs the mentoring program and I will text message her or email her and say, look, I was in so-and-so's classroom the other day and I noticed that that the teacher had a hard time with um, greeting the students and getting them on task in the very, very beginning. Can you work with the mentor and, and help them to understand how to improve that? And she and I have been working really closely to do that. But I'm not able to have that direct conversation all the time. Yeah, so so if I'm hearing what you're saying is there, you're, you're on board with there needs to be better training for mentors. That's got to yes. be a huge part of it. Okay, yes. so so to finish up, I, I, this wasn't really planned, but I I was really excited to talk a little bit about the the new research that you're you're engaged in. Okay, so uh, a, a a person that I did my doctorate with, she is a math professor in a local university. Um, she's kind of bounced around a little bit. What we're doing right now is it's it, she called me and uh, wanted me to, to think about doing another um, Q methodology study with her. And what we're looking at is how parents influence students' mathematical education and what teachers think of parents' perspectives on mathematical education. So what we're trying to figure out, or I guess the goal of the, of the study would be to say uh, something like, if the teachers know that this is the parents' perspective on math education, what can they do differently to infuse both relationships so that children can be successful in math? And I'm not quite sure what we're going to get out of it, but uh, you know, a lot of things that I've been reading is that you know, a parent's 
influence on math education is great in that a, a simple fact, gender. Um, a lot of times parents will say to children as the boy, you know, okay, you're doing well in math, great. And girls, they're not good in math, don't worry about it. That's a generalization, but that those little reactions translate to statistics that show that impacts children and that they are not doing well in math. And if you tailor it back, it's because the parents said, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You're, you're a girl. You don't have to be well, good in math. You know, and that's a small little aspect. And there's a, a whole world of research out there that discusses all the different components. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking to go to um, teachers from K to 12 and see what they think parents think of, of the math education. So we want to create statements um, for this, and we haven't figured out how many yet. We're going to use the research and then hopefully pull out what um, teachers believe parents, you know, that, that what they believe is means edu uh, math education. So when you, when, you when, a, when a math teacher thinks that, okay, um, the parents think that math education is important or, you know, music, or they think math education isn't important. Well, how do you take that information and help your students overcome that? So I think that's kind of what we're looking at. And it's, it's in a process. We're in the lit review right now. I think we're going to get together probably in the summer and start to develop the study and then hopefully pass it out. And she and I had spoken. I said, I had these really two wonderful guys that I met at a conference. I said, and they're all the way in Texas. We may be able to get some different perspectives on what we're looking at. Because, you know, if I think if you put out a survey like this and you're limited to just New York, you're getting just a one-sided perspective. And in meeting with you, both of you, and learning so much about Texas and the education of the process of Texas, it's like, okay, it's different, but it's similar. And you're coming to the table with with a lot of different um, a lot of different perspectives, and I think that they're valuable. In that, if we 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 send a survey out to your teachers, we have much more of a national, you know, perspective. Right. Absolutely. So I'm hoping to do that, you know, and of course I'll email you and and uh, I'll be in contact with you. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, the other thing that I had discussed, we had discussed at the um, conference was the mentoring versus coaching, and that's something that. I haven't done much research on, but I've been doing a lot of reflecting on, and I probably will reach out to the two of you again and say, hey, let's work together on this. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to that. So to wrap up, uh, you get one, one thing you'd, you'd want to leave teachers with as we shut it down on this episode. Sure. Um, the research that I had conducted, and, and this is it's research-based, but it's also from my heart, is that as a teacher, never forget the impact you have on your students. You, you, the smallest little things that you do have powerful, powerful impact. And if we, we approach from that perspective of character in that, you know, who am I when nobody's looking and you act to the best of you possibly can and you act with integrity with your students, hopefully the students will have a wonderful role model so then they can move forward in their life and impact others positively as you have. Awesome. That's perfect. So, uh, we're, if people want to follow you, say on social media or things like that, where's a good place? I'm on Twitter at, um, R Wattawa. Um, I'm, that's usually the social media that I'm using most of. I also started a, a little trend in my school district. So now my school district is on Twitter. So I have my arts and, and I'm pulling out my phone now so I get it right. Um, I have, um, 
my arts and edu- ed, ed uh, Twitter account as well, which is a lot of fun. So I take pictures of our students doing different things and a lot of the things. And that and that that tag is at EI Fine Arts. So that basically stands for East Islip, which is the school district I work for. Fine Arts. And my tag for myself is at R Wadawa. And you know that's the that's the the feed that I use for educational research and trying to con- you know uh, connect with other people. And ironically, it was the it was our one of our professors, my statistics professor, that forced all of us in our class to get a Twitter account because you know you know kids these days they use things the way they shouldn't use them, but if you use it correctly, it is quite a powerful tool. So I've been taking that and transforming it into our our, our putting it into our school district. So you know, advertising our musical, sending pictures, all the positive things that we do as a department, and I'm getting a lot of positive feedback, which is great. Awesome. All right, man. Well, we appreciate your time as always. It was great catching up, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we're in for whatever research you need. And uh, for everybody out there that listen, we really appreciate it, and we will be back with you soon. Thank you so much.